Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm Ruth Haley Barton, your host. This season, we are entering into Lent, and we're looking at the subject of justice. Our season is entitled, A Just Lent, Learning to Love What God Loves. And sometimes the Lenten season can feel really, really big when you think about the themes of self-examination and confession and repentance. It's like there's so many things that we could focus on. How do I choose? Well, we're choosing for you. (laughs) If you're with us this season, we're choosing for you, and we are choosing to look at issues of justice, how we might be complicit with injustice, if we have experienced injustice in our lives, how we uh, might heal from the injustice that we've experienced. But we are really looking forward to bringing a spotlight to this subject of justice, and we feel like Lent is the perfect season to take a journey together into the topic of justice. We are loosely basing our time together on an IVP resource called A Just Passion, a six-week Lenten journey, and we will be talking with many of the authors who contributed to this work, as well as friends and alumni of the Transforming Center. So uh, we are looking forward to journeying with you during this Lenten season. If it feels like it would be supportive to you, you can still order the book, A Just Passion, A Six-Week Lenten Journey. And if you join us on Patreon, you can also receive guidance with some reflection questions and lectionary readings throughout the season. As we begin this season, I want to read from the introduction of this little book that we're tracking along with for the season. Um, In the introduction, it says that Lent is an ideal time to explore what it means to love the justice of the Lord and to consider whether there is any injustice in the way we live. For those who are in a place of privilege, Lent is a season for examining and confessing our complicity in injustice. For those who have experienced injustice in their own lives, Lent can be a part of a healing process as we follow Christ's journey through suffering and passion into resurrection. It can be a season for lamenting the brokenness we have experienced in our lives and the world. So in this Lenten season, we are focusing on one area of our followership. We serve a God who says boldly in the Old Testament, for I, the Lord, love justice. I am a God of justice. And so we are going to be focusing on how we can follow God more fully in this important area of our Christian discipleship. I will have have different guests throughout the season, but in this episode, I'm really excited to be with two people who have been in community with us in a significant way. We first of all have David Bailey. Uh, David was in Transforming Community 15, and he is now with us in Transforming Community 18. He is a public theologian, a culture maker, and a catalyst focused on building reconciling communities. David is the founder and chief vision officer of Erebon, a spiritual formation ministry that equips the American church to actively and creatively pursue racial healing in their community. He's also the author of resources like the study series, A People, A Place, and A Just Society, and he's the executive producer of the documentary 11 a.m., Hope for America's Most Segregated Hour, and uh, founder of the Urban Doxology Project. He is rooted in East End Covenant Fellowship in Richmond, Virginia, serves on the preaching team there, married to his beautiful and wonderful wife, Joy, whom we also love, who is also in community with us. Welcome, David. So good to have you with us on the podcast. (laughs) So glad to be here. We're doing this as community. We're not doing this as talking heads. We are going to go deeper in our own relationships and community by having these conversations together. 
And then we have our very own Tina Harris, the Reverend Tina Harris, who is a Methodist minister, but she is also an attorney who has worked in a variety of different ways in the justice arena for a very long time. And she is our cultivator of community and connection, but also fully empowered in our organization to work in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, Tina, it's a joy to work with you, to be on the team with you, and also to welcome you into this season of the Strengthening the Cell of Your Leadership podcast. <laughs> Amen. Glad Amen. To be here. All right. Yay to <sighs> Tina. So we're also going to be true to our own commitment in the Transforming Center to uh, work with the seasons of the church year by following the lectionary together. So we're going to be relying on the scriptures found in the lectionary. Not all of them. We're not going to be able to use all of them. But the scriptures that we're going to call attention to um, each week are going to be scriptures that are part of the lectionary calendar. And so as we launch into this season of the podcast David, why don't you read from this week's lectionary for Ash Wednesday, the scripture Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet and announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they are a nation that practiced righteousness. And did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why don't we fast, but you do not see? Why humble yourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice and to undo the thongs of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you seek the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and, and your healing shall spring up quickly your vindicator shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Mm -hmm. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers, of streets mm. to live in. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Wow. Well, as you were reading, David, I was reminded that this episode is for Ash Wednesday and that phrase, a day to humble oneself. You know, that Ash Wednesday, Mm. uh, as much as any of the other days, is a day to humble ourselves. And we do that by often, you know, going to a church service or going to a priest and having them place the ashes on our heads as a way of reminding ourselves of how humble and how close to the earth we really are. And so just wanted to mention that Ash Wednesday is one of the days in which we can humble ourselves in a very striking way by entering into some of the rituals that the church provides for us. But I also know that Isaiah 58 is a really important passage to you, David, and that uh, some of the things that you've done and brought forth in your life have come as a response to this passage. So I wondered if you could just connect the dots between Isaiah 58 and your own vocation and some of the things that you're about in your life, because I know this is an important passage to you. Yeah, you know, I mean, part of what you know about my story is that around 2008, my wife, Joy, and I, we moved into under-resource, predominantly African-American community. And uh, we were part of a, a church plant that Dr. John Perkins really inspired this whole Christian community development model. And so we are part of this church plan. I end up joining on staff. I'm serving like as a worship pastor in this context. And I noticed that we had a lot of songs that were really related to the vertical nature of who God is. We maybe had affections towards God, but there wasn't a lot of worship that was really connected to uh, loving your neighbor. Mm. There wasn't this community development, this justice oriented dynamic was just not a part of the things that we were singing. It was a part of what we were preaching, but it wasn't about the things that we were singing and, and, and it was part of our prayers, but it wasn't any part of like a part of our like liturgical practices. Mm-hmm. And so I remember coming in and we were singing to Christ alone. And I remember two African-American young men and they were like in their twenties and we were singing to Christ alone and being in the nerdy theological circles I'm in, I, <laughs> I, you know, I know about all the like gender inclusive, like language and the whole question about the wrath of God. But it helped me realize that this song is really about atonement and you have to have a four year college degree to understand the theology of atonement. <laughs> you sure do. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, even then you have your questions. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But I was like, this is not these guys' number one pastoral issue. So this is about 2010, 2011. This is before like Black Lives Matter was like a hashtag. This is before Trayvon Martin, any of these things. And I realized, I began to ask myself the question, like, what does worship look like for people of diverse education levels and learning styles mm-hmm. of different like experiences? And there was such a deep disconnect. And particularly a generation of black kids who weren't growing up in the church like the way I grew up in the church. And I said, like, what, what does that look like? And so I began to like, just ask that question, like, what is an urban doxology? Mm-hmm. I started getting young people 18 to 25 studying theology, justice, reconciliation. Instead of writing papers, they would write worship songs. And this became mm-hmm. the things that we would sing in our congregation. Started producing records out of it. I was a musician at the time. And and this became a, a thing that we would produce out of our community. And Isaiah 58 really became the marker of an urban doxology uh, for us. It became mm-hmm. like the the thing that formed and shaped us so significantly. I am kind of Wesleyan orientation, both like personal holiness and social holiness, that, mm-hmm. that dynamic. And I remember kind of growing up, you know, in a Pentecostal kind of context and we were very committed to the personal holiness, but then the, 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 the personal piety dynamic was really important. But that, 
justice dynamic wasn't in that same kind of space and being in a pastoral position and a space that's trying to shape the theological imagination of our congregation. I just saw that from the old Testament and new Testament, this personal piety and this kind of like social holiness that Wesley talks about was such an important thing. And it's not a false dichotomy. Like it's, it's not a binary. This is something that is, is really shaping Isaiah 58 really calls it into to, to question that we're supposed to love God and love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. And that's the fourth thing. I mean, that's, that's always from Leviticus to Jesus shares that. And, and we see this theme all throughout the text. Yeah. Oh, well, that's beautiful. I mean, as as you were reading it, I was just so aware of how many things we could talk about <laughs> in right. that passage, and we will not get to them all today, but your story of how Isaiah 58 actually called out urban doxology and that whole aspect of your life together is really, really compelling. So thank you. Tina, I wanted to just uh, kick it over to you for a minute, because in one of our recent retreats, we had you do a new teaching among us on justice is love. And so this is just a really beautiful cutting edge for us here in the Transforming Center is that we've all, all always been justice minded and justice oriented, but you're bringing a new level of focus within our organization and helping us to be even more intentional. And so we just revamped one of our nine retreats and in the eighth retreat of our Transforming Community Experience you gave a message on justice is love. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what you're hearing in Isaiah 58 and why Isaiah 58 is such an important passage as it has to do with justice. Sure. I I was taking some notes when David um, was reciting um, Isaiah 58, because of course, whenever we hear scripture, again, we hear something yes, uh, new or hear in a fresh way. And I was really struck by how I wrote down self-centered and self-focused, like how easy it is for me as a Christian or us as Christians, even though we know (laughs) that is not what we're called to do, how easy it is for us to be so self-centered and self-focused and that this scripture calls us out of that and not just um, into looking our focus on our lives, but looking at what the world is, what breaks God's heart should be breaking our heart and that Mm -hmm. we should be not just focused on ourselves, but thinking about the ways in which we can interact and improve the world. I think that it's surprising to me or surprising maybe too hard of a word, but when I think about justice, I can only think about it in terms of love because I don't know how someone can say they love your brother or sister and they're not concerned about them living a just life or being able to walk through this life with everything that is theirs. But I do think that there is something about the ways in which we've been taught about love in our Western uh, culture where we all have clean water to drink and um, not all of us, but Most of us have clean water to drink unless you're in Jackson or Flint. Uh, And most of us have food (laughs) on our table. And we think that love is just something about us and something that can be romantic. Like we're felt we're recording this on Valentine's Day and how Mm -hmm. we've made love all about just romantic love. But in fact, it is so much bigger than that. It is that agape love. It encompasses, yes, it encompasses romantic love, but it encompasses more than that. And that if I love someone, I really have to want what's best for that person. And I can't say that it's okay for that person to be the victim of every kind of ism Mm -hmm. or marginalized or excluded and say, I love them, but not want to do anything about that. Um, exclusion yeah. or marginalization. Yeah. Well, I remember that in the teaching that you gave to us, one of the things that you did that was really powerful was that you invited us to name the isms 
You know, you invited mm-hmm. us to name areas where there is injustice in our world and to actually share our personal response to some of these injustices. And you actually invited us to, to identify which was the one we had the hardest time relating to and things like that. But I thought that that was such a helpful exercise. And so I wondered as we get this season kicked off, if you wouldn't mind just or with the three of us could just go through some of the places, some of the areas in our world where injustice is prevailing, you know, right this at this moment and where justice needs to be brought because we're not going to be able to deal with all the individual issues in this season, but everything that we say about justice, we want to have applied to across the board, you know, to these areas of injustice where actual people, actual human beings that we're called to love are being treated um, unjustly or they don't have equality, they don't have equity, they don't have resources, they don't have opportunity, uh, the same opportunity that others have. And so I was wondering as we begin, if you could just list off uh, some of the areas that are on your mind when you think about places of injustice in our world right now. And then David, you can you know pitch in and, and I will as well. But Bettina, get us going, if you would. So Ruth, I do want to say we could talk about that for the next hour. Just I know, listing off things. I know, so, just listing things. There's but... injustice on every corner. Yeah. <laughs> so, say it, sister, think, say it. No, I'm just saying <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it, it depends on how you look at it. So mm-hmm. there's many issues and we won't be able to um, mention all of them. But the top of my mind or of course, I'm an African-American woman. So I would be remiss if I did not talk about racism and gender inequality. Misogyny are all some things in which we have justice issues in the mm-hmm. church and outside of the church. Mm-hmm. There are also things like I, hunger in America is a justice issue. Those who are unhoused is a justice issue. The ways in which we treat those that are unhoused and our housing system, that is all um, justice. The fact that we don't have enough affordable housing and that we don't have a living wage for a lot of the places in our country. Those are all just a few of the justice issues that um, rile me up. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll pick up. I think one of the biggest civil rights issues that we're dealing with now is the fact that your zip code can determine your educational opportunities. Right. Even if you're in the same city or same county, because it's tied to home values. And so this is something that we know. And those of us who have choices, we choose to buy a house where the zip code is great. Mm-hmm. And don't think about those who can't afford to buy a house where the zip yeah. code is not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we oftentimes don't even uh, move our public officials to at least make sure there's equal educational opportunities across the various zip codes. So, I mean, that's 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 a big one, a huge one for me. Well, and I'll tie back into that, David, that that also ties to voting, right? We think about the ways in which there's been almost a really intentional affront on voting rights, even in 2022 and 2023, which is ridiculous. But that really impacts so many different justice issues. Mm -hmm. And that connects to like health outcomes. Amen. It connects to the probability of folks like going to prison. It's also connected to whether or not you get a military recruiter to come to your right. school or a college recruiter to come to your school. And so these, mm-hmm. you know, these are just very systemically like challenging things yes. that, you know, when I read Isaiah 58 and I see how they just kind of miss things. Like, I don't, mm. I don't think they were like egregious people. Like, you know, like, like in a way that we would be like, I know those people are doing bad. I think they were just like us that were just kind of going about our daily business and being as, as kind of personally pious as we know how to be. And then there's just like deep injustice that's happening. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot around here about ableism, the fact that those who have physical challenges 
uh, often experience injustice and discrimination, ageism, discriminating against people because of their age. Let's keep going. What else? Well, you know, your zip codes say a lot. I already mentioned Flint, Michigan still doesn't have drinking water. I mean, that's unacceptable. (laughs) It's completely unacceptable. And thinking about how that's going to impact generations. And that is really something that I don't even think we understand the impact of that. For our brothers and sisters who are LGBTQIA+, there are many issues surrounding that. I think that when we talk about uh, equal pay, that is also a justice issue. We can keep going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Keep going. David, do you have anything else you want to throw in? I mean, I, I do think that when you look at Leviticus, healthcare was a really important thing. That's a big justice issue. That healthcare is just not affordable. Amen. Um, and it's it's so market driven, and the pharmacy, the insurance company, and the medical providers are all in bed with each other and lobbying. I think our lobbying yeah. system is very unjust. We we make laws not necessarily because they're right, but because somebody, you know, lobbied to make sure they got what they wanted. And then I think just our you could be wealthy and guilty yes, or innocent Lord. and poor and get very different results in the actual like justice system. And so there's just a lot of mm-hmm. like economic inequality yeah. um, that the scripture speaks about, like that, like having just scales. And I mean, these are like very, very clear things that are just facts in, in our society that are realities. Yeah. Well, I know that we'll be touching on aspects of injustice relative to many different things during during this season, but let's take a minute and establish some definition around the word justice. I, I just think the word justice itself needs to be defined and it might actually bring about some conversation among us. And then very closely related to that, why does justice matter so much to God? I think one of the things that is very striking to me is that God is so clear about who God is, you know, that God loves justice, that God is a God of justice and equity. And yet we as Christians don't prioritize it the way God does, apparently. And that uh, to bring it into the conversation around transformation and formation, that to be formed into the image of Christ, to allow God's nature and God's character to be formed in us would logically mean that justice would be being formed in us, that if God loves justice, so would we. If God is a God of justice, we would be people of justice, but that's not what's happened. I don't know why, but that is not what's happened. So I know in this in this little book, there is this one definition from Adele Calhoun, which I appreciate that justice seeks to help others through correcting and redressing wrongs. It treats others fairly and shows no favoritism. It seeks their good. That might be a jumping off place. But let me ask the two of you, how would you define the word justice as we're talking about it here? For me, also at Arabon, we root the the notion of justice based off of shalom, Mm -hmm. this idea of like God weaving things together the way God originally intended to be, like this sense of flourishing, like another like English word that tries to articulate this rich word of shalom. And and I, I think that shalom, we we initially see shalom in Genesis 1 and 2, where mm-hmm. everybody's made an image of God. And it wasn't just like the Jewish people were made an image of God, like the way some sacred texts work, like whatever ethnic group is there, they're mm-hmm. the ones that, you know, are God's favorite. But it's just like all of humanity was made in the image of God. All humanity was reflecting this creative nature of who God is. And I had the right to both like cultivate the land, to 
to work, to bring fruit, to cultivate goodness. And then you also have their naming, like Adam is humanity is naming things in the garden. Right. And so the way that Andy Crouch says it in culture making, making sense of the world, making something of the world that we're giving. And so that is like pre-fall, pre-sin flourishing. And so I think that's like a baseline that Mm -hmm. uh, needs to happen. And then I think once sin gets into the world, you know, I'm kind of like a little bit of like Luther in the sense of like kind of a two kingdom or a little bit of like Anabaptist in the sense that there is this like kingdoms of this world and there's the kingdom of God. And I think as the people of God, it's really important for us to like interrogate the scriptures and allow the scriptures to interrogate us mm-hmm. to be able to say what does true flourishing look like, you know? Mm-hmm. And I am on the presupposition that in the kingdoms of this world and the empire, we're never going to see true true justice. I mean, I don't care if we live in the greatest empire of the world, which the people of God did for most of the time of the scripture. They never were deceived in thinking that that was going to be a just place. They never thought mm-hmm. Rome or Babylon or or uh, uh, Syria or Egypt was going to be a, a just place for them. And they were in a place where they want to experience alone. They sense that, hey, as the people of God, as an alternative society, as folks that are, are, are foretaste of the kingdom of God, there should be a shalom, there should be a flourishing that we're bringing to, to be a model to the empire of how they should engage as fellow image bearers in this, this, this kingdom of God, as children of God. For me, I have borrowed definitions from those who've come before. One is uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. He says that power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. Justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. Love correcting everything that stands against love. I just love that. I think mm-hmm. it's incredible. I want a t-shirt with it on it. Mm-hmm. And then the great mind and uh, cultural critic Cornel West says that justice is love. just plainly love in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's something so sweet and profound about that statement. Yeah. And then Walter Brueggemann says that justice is to sort out what belongs to whom and return it to them. And that is not just material things or the tangible things, but things like dignity and freedom and safety, important things like that. Yeah. I really appreciate, you know, the words that we're bringing into the word justice, the shalom, flourishing, and then love. And of course, Tina, that was what you brought in mm-hmm. our community experience and and are bringing is the idea that justice is love. There's this, we think about love as being something that's just kind of warm and fuzzy mm-hmm. versus something that is strong and decisive and changes things, you know, mm-hmm. for those whom we say that we love. Why do you think... First of all, why does justice matter to God and why is it so hard for maybe I'll just say white Christians to prioritize and elevate justice issues when we know, biblically speaking, that God is a God of justice and that God says, for I, the Lord, love justice. Why is it so hard for us to love what God loves? Who's going first? David is smirking. <laughs> he, he is smirking behind the mic. <laughs> That's funny. It's like, okay. All right. No, I, I was thinking Here's about the this, hard uh, questions. Like, Lord have mercy. So I, I think justice is a difficult thing if you're on the, the positive side of an unjust society. I mean, I think that's just true mm-hmm. of humanity. We even see this when people groups are victims of an unjust situation and then they get into a place of power, then they act extremely unjust to other people groups. Yeah. So I, I think that's a very true, true thing. Just in general, we see that all throughout scripture. We all see that all throughout history. 
I, I think particularly with white Christians, I, I, part of I was like laughing, well, not laughing, but like smirking a little bit because I was thinking about uh, there was this comedian, you know, he was just talking about like like how white people are like not excited to go 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 to heaven because they're like it doesn't get better than this, right? Like you know, it's just kind of like you know why why we want to do this, right? Like you know, like and, and we got and, it pretty good kinda, down here. <laughs> yeah, we got it pretty good down here, and I forgot like how he set it up, but like it's kind of one of those things that if you think about the way that we preach about the afterlife, it's almost like America. 2.0. And so if you are having the experience of America, that's like heaven on earth. And then like your understanding of heaven is like America 2.0. You just get a chance to do America with Jesus. Then that's just <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 it's not as compelling vision. And if you're not having that kind of experience, yeah, then you're going to long for justice. You're going to long mm-hmm. for Shalom. You're going to long yeah. for the here and after in a way that's very, very different than those who aren't having that same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's good. How would you respond to me now? You're, you're outright laughing. So go ahead. Oh, no, let's crack it up. Um, absolutely. I think, you know, it ties back to the question that you asked at the beginning, Ruth, about sort of how can we go to church and not hear about mm-hmm. issues of justice? And I really think it depends what church you went to, because mm-hmm. now, mind you, I didn't grow up in church. I grew up on church, but when I was starting to go to church as a, as a young adult, I, there was a rare Sunday for our justice to not be brought up in some way, shape Mm -hmm. or form. The church that I was um, being formed in was a traditional African-American church. It wasn't exclusively a black church, but it was traditionally African-American church. And the pastor would have been tone deaf if they, if he did Mm -hmm. not actually talk about issues of justice, because Mm -hmm. it's so much part of our context and so much part of our life. And so tied to hope. And so to me, it's sort of a a strange concept that like, how can you go so many, how can you go for so long and not have it because it's part of it. But I do think because God is love and God is a a God of love and love ain't easy. And, and I say that on intentionally, (laughs) like I say, love ain't easy that it is again, not about giving Valentine's, like it is about giving of ourselves. It is about, you know, thinking about the ways in which we are, can connect with others and love them well. That's not hard and that we can't be self-centered and self-focused and just about us and truly love the other. And so that's why God wants us to do it because it brings us out of ourselves and it makes us more like God, but it also makes more of what God had in uh, store for us, um, makes more of that a reality when we Mm -hmm. are uh, loving justice and being loving and just for each other. Yeah. I've also thought about just the experience of being a parent. And if you're a healthy parent, you Mm -hmm. want equal opportunities for all your children. You want them all to experience goodness. You want them all to flourish. And you would never want one child to flourish at the expense of another child. I mean, that it's it's part of God's loving parenthood of all God's children, that God would want the same opportunities and for each and every one of his children. And so we actually, in some ways wound the parenthood of God Mm. by not standing with God in making sure that all of God's children are treated equally so they can flourish in this world. I I take it to a very intimate place as I think about God as as a loving heavenly parent who would want goodness and flourishing and shalom for all of God's children. If we know that if a parent is practicing favoritism, they're an unhealthy parent. You know, mm-hmm. and we know God is healthier and more fair and, and just than any of us are able to be here on this earth. And so it Amen. speaks to me. God's parenthood over all of us, you know, speaks to me about that as well. So as we conclude this episode, I'd like to bring our thoughts back to the season of Lent that we're getting ready to enter into and that 
for us here in the Transforming Center, we're using this season as an opportunity to focus on one aspect of our life together and one aspect of our spiritual lives that can often be a little off, (laughs) more than a little off. We want to focus on justice and practices associated with justice. And Matthew 6 is also another passage. It's a gospel passage that's offered up for Ash Wednesday in the lectionary. And so, Tina, how about if you read Matthew 6? I'd be happy to. Hear these words from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 21 from the First Nations Version, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Beware of doing good just so people can see you. For then you will receive no honor from your Father from above, who is the Creator. When we give gifts to the poor and do good things for others, do not brag about it on the village pathways or in the gathering houses, like those who put on a false face, pretending to be something they are not. The truth is they honor only themselves and they will get nothing more. But when you help others who are in need, do it in secret. Do not even tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. Then your father who sees all things will honor you. When you send your voice to the great spirit, do not be like the ones who love to stand up and pray with a loud voice in the gathering houses and along the village pathways, hoping to be seen and heard by others. The truth is they have their honor already. They will get no more. Instead, find a quiet hiding place where no one can see you or hear you and send your prayers to your father in secret. He will see what you have done and honor you. When you go without food to seek spiritual things, do not be like the ones who put on a false face. They hang their heads down and darken their faces to look as if they are going without food. They only want people to notice them and think they're spiritual. I speak from my heart. They already have all the honor they deserve. They will get no more. But when you go without eating, put on your headdress and wash your face so others will not notice. But know that your father from above who sees in secret will honor you. Take care not to store possessions on earth that can be spoiled by worms, eaten by moths, or stolen by thieves. Instead, give away your possessions to the ones in need, and then you will be storing up great possessions in the spirit world above, where nothing can be lost or stolen. For where you store your valued possessions is where your heart will be. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God. Well, Matthew 6 is just the quintessential um, passage to launch us into Lent. And the emphasis in this passage, obviously, is actual practices, actual practices that help us to open to God and to live our lives on God's terms for us. I'm always struck by the practice of hiddenness, and hiddenness is a practice where for six weeks in Lent, we might determine how does God want me to practice, but do it in a hidden way so that I'm not drawing attention to myself. And I think that that practice of hiddenness has become more and more challenging in our social media-laden society where virtue signaling has become a thing that we do, that proud humility or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... 
I'm thinking about hiddenness a lot as I hear that passage that virtue signaling, especially as it has to do with justice, is something that's prevalent these days. Uh, we, we all want to look woke, you know, we all want to look like we're on the right side of the equation now. But I wonder also, as we do enter into Lent, willing to focus on justice issues, what would a Lenten practice be for those who of us who really want to commit to utilizing Lent in this season as an opportunity to become more just and to become more honest about injustice and to do self-examination and repentance and confession. How can we approach Lent with concrete practices that enable us to confront injustice in our life together? Ruth, your question, um, And this scripture reminds me of shortly after the murder of George Floyd, there was a day where uh, on Instagram, people put a black box on their profile to show sort of solidarity and that they thought this was this was wrong. And then there was also I had a flood in my email inbox of different corporations saying how important diversity was to them. And that was just literally probably for a month that was happening. But yet two years later, there hasn't been those same people, and not all of them, but some of them um, have moved on to something else, that there is the sound of crickets um, for some of those corporations now, and that there hasn't been any real systemic change in sort of leadership or hiring practices or anything along those lines. And so to me, that was just a, they were doing what they felt they needed to do at the time, but it wasn't a real change. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that was important where they wanted to pursue it for the rest of their life is the wrong word, but for the rest of their time, because it's, on, it's only two years later and they've changed their story. And so that makes me think that one of the practices that we can do during this time of Lent is one is to get educated on mm-hmm. the particular justice issue that comes to mind. And I'm talking about read the books, listen to the TED Talks, go to other church churches and go to worship in different places, invite friends out for dinner. And if these are friends you never talk about race, don't start talking about race um, all of a sudden <laughs> during this time. But if there are people you've started these conversations, continue these conversations and go deeper because everyone can have the opportunity to learn and to grow and to understand various justice issues. The list that we mentioned earlier, and again, that wasn't everything. I am certain there was something on that list that everybody's thinking, why is that a justice issue? Or how is the environment a justice issue? Or there could be something there. So this could be the real time where where people could spend the time to get educated and so they could understand why it's important. And then it won't be just a fleeting thing to them. Mm -hmm. They'll really want to pursue it and not just past uh, the the deck for the next 40 days, but pursue it prayerfully as part of their um, discipleship journey for the rest of their lives. Ooh, excellent. And that'll take some time. That'll take some clearing out of the schedule and really creating time and space in your Lenten season for getting educated on an area of injustice that you know God is calling you to. I love that. That's really practical, really concrete. What do you have, David, that that is in your hearts for us right now about how we can use Lent in an intentional way towards justice? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it as I was listening to you, Tina, uh, a friend of mine calls like when people feel like they're doing their uh, justice work through social media, he calls it social slacktivism. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I'm going to use that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of corporations that did a lot of like social slacktivism, but then also with us in general, you know, I think my invitation would be 
the invitation of proximity. And Amen. every time the Bible is the scripture is talking about engaging with the poor, it's not in the context of getting on a plane and going on a mission trip. And, and I think that there tends to be something that awakens, particularly uh, those of us who are in a privileged situation, you know, uh, economic situation. We are oftentimes the people who negotiate the terms of how we engage with those who are less economically privileged than we are. And I think what happens when we go on the missions trip, there's a, a, a part of our spirituality that awakens when we get in proximity with the vulnerable, the poor. It helps us see our own vulnerability. It helps us to see the joy that can come out in the midst of this brokenness that's happening uh, in this space. And there's just something that is really hard to be a biblical Christian when, when like, uh, give us our daily bread is a, a theological concept and not a real live reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a, a gift for me has been when my wife and I moved into a poor under-resourced community, a community that didn't have a new school built for 45 years. And they started to build the city jail before they built a new school. Hmm. And that the middle school is on top of where the city jail is. And so you look out the window and you're looking at that. I mean, that would never happen in a a resource suburban community. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the other side of that is where the city dump is. And so, you know, we live in a community that was experiencing a ton of systemic injustice. And and by living and being in proximity to this systemic injustice and just seeing, it, it's made me cry out to God in ways that I just didn't have to do that growing up in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I think in, in different ways. even though I went to church in a like under resourced uh, community uh, church, but when that became my neighborhood, that's a different space. Now because of gentrify, gentrification, you know I live in a neighborhood with a pickleball court. And so I now live in a rich white neighborhood. So it's like, <laughs> and I didn't move. <laughs> so, uh, so, so even for me, I'm having to figure out, hey, how can I be more proximate mm-hmm. and thinking ways? And, and I think that is a spiritual practice. Doing the work of justice and silence is a spiritual practice. And so uh, it's called loving your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. You see that in the story of the Good Samaritan. What I would say is try to get in proximity with the vulnerable and and that's that's not the same as reading a book. Like Amen. information and formation is different. Like I am saying mm-hmm. that like, hey, like it's very great to educate yourself before you kind of go into a situation. Mm-hmm. But but don't consider that being the work. Mm-hmm. Like, like learning is not the work. Like actually yeah. doing things to empower vulnerable people groups is actually doing the work. And to understand that that's a really core part of your spiritual practice, because it, it puts us in a situation where we don't have to be in control anymore. Amen. And it allows God to be at work in our lives in ways that that we're not controlling. Amen. Well, David, I love what you talked about with approximate. What I used to say when um, when I was encouraging people to get approximate with others, uh, particularly those who are marginalized or those who are other than them, they um, those who are just different than them, that you need to know their name and you need to know their story. So it's not just you show up once. It's not that you just go give them a sandwich if they're hungry. It is that you get to know them that and know them so mm-hmm. well that 
you know their name, their government name and their nickname. You might have even crossed the threshold of their house and been invited in and they've been invited into your house, like to be in relationship with each other. And it's so amazing how wild of a concept that is. <laughs> People are just amazed, like what? But yet there's how else are we going to build relationships? How else are we really going to know? Because I, I totally agree with you. I think it's incredibly important because otherwise we'll just use stereotypes or what the media has told us in order to think about who another group is. And that is just never going to work. <laughs> and that's uh, going to completely get us off track. So thank you for that spiritual mm -hmm. practice. I think that'll be helpful. Well, thank you so much, Tina and David. I think we've actually elevated three spiritual practices for justice leaders, uh, people or people who aspire to become justice leaders. We've talked about hiddenness, which is such a strong uh, practice from Matthew 6, uh, not doing that virtue signaling sort of thing. And David, you reiterated it, that to do the work of justice in silence is a spiritual practice. So the practice of doing what you do, but not in a way of, of virtue signaling, getting educated. And that's kind of the pre-work from what I hear from the two of you to get educated on the area of injustice that you're feeling invited into and called to. And then proximity, the practice of proximity, doing things to empower the vulnerable is actually the work. So we're going to conclude our episode today with a musical meditation from Urban Doxology featuring Amina Brown. And I hope that you will uh, receive it as a meditation, as an opportunity for you to listen to what God has to say to you in and through the words of scripture and in through the words of this conversation today and whatever God is speaking to your soul about becoming or, or taking steps in your spiritual journey towards becoming a justice leader this Lent. Cry aloud, shout, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? They act like righteous people that would never abandon the word of God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Why aren't you impressed? Here's why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. You fast, but you argue and fight over small things. You fast, but you attack those who don't think and act like you. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You go through the motions, bowing your heads like plants, bending in the wind, dressed in clothes for mourning. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to God? This is the kind of fast I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, to lighten the burdens, to free the oppressed, to cancel the debts, to share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, to clothe those who need it. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. They are your family. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will go behind you. You will call and God will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, here I am. Remove the heavy burden of oppression. Do away with the gossip and finger pointing. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in the sun. And God 
will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the emptiest of places, restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Restore, renovate, rebuild the broken in your community. Raise up the old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken systems, restorer of home and community.